0: I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zivyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. Today's episode has been sponsored by Tink. Lauren Passel and her innovative PR company, Tink, are book-obsessed and podcast-obsessed. Tink specializes in getting authors on podcast tours. Forbes called it the, quote, the first podcast PR company for authors. This is, like, the coolest idea I have to say. Podcasting is a new wild world, and pitching to podcasters like me, I guess, is an art. So Tink specializes in setting authors up for success. To learn more, you can visit tinkmedia.com or subscribe to Lauren's podcast newsletter at podcast thenewsletter.com. So definitely check out Lauren. She's amazing. And for any authors out there, you should definitely check her out for getting your book onto fantastic podcasts like this one and so many other book podcasts out there and all types of podcasts. I'm thrilled to be here today with Kate Elizabeth Russell, who's the debut author of My Dark Vanessa, a novel which will be published in 20-plus languages. Originally from Maine, Kate earned an MFA from Indiana University and a PhD from the University of Kansas. Her fiction and nonfiction has appeared in Necessary Fiction, Quarterly West, Mid-American Review, Hayden's Fairy Review, and other journals. She currently lives in Wisconsin. So welcome, Kate. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Oh. I'm so excited to discuss My Dark Vanessa. <laughs> not stop thinking about this book. Can you please tell listeners what it's about?
1: Sure. So, My Dark Vanessa, it tells the story of Vanessa Y, who at 32 years old, she learns that her high school English teacher, Jacob Strain, has been accused of sexual abuse by another former student. And this accusation, it rattles her to her core because she had a relationship with this teacher starting when she was 15, but in her eyes, it wasn't abuse. It was love, and she she feels very, very sure of that. And so the novel, it then moves back and forth in time between the present day and this accusation and then back in her teenage years, is showing... How the relationship started, how it continued, and then at the same time showing the long-lasting consequences on her adult life. How did you come up with this plot? Well, I worked on the book for a really long time, a really, really long time. And so— Like, give me a ballpark. I started writing it when I was a teenager. And what drew me to this story then, though it it, it took a very different form back then, but— That was around the age that I started to become aware of how teenage girls were sexualized in our culture. And that was confusing, being a teenage girl myself. And so writing fiction was my way of making sense of that. And so that was sort of the seed of it, how it started. And then over the years, draft after draft, it sort of evolved. But I had a real breakthrough when I was like around my 30th birthday, which coincided with starting a PhD program in creative writing. And it was then that I figured out this present day plot line of another student coming forward and accusing that teacher. And once I figured out that plot line, it gave me the answer to this question of like why tell this story now and and what is sort of propelling the story forward it gave it gave the whole narrative a sort of urgency and then after that me too started to happen which is i guess a whole other conversation but that was one of the most surreal things about the writing process was sort of arriving at this plot line and then seeing something really similar play out in in the real world at the same time
0: Like yes, (laughs) no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
1: (laughs) It was more. I was just really freaked out at first because I wasn't quite sure how to handle that, or or it, it wasn't. It took a while for me to figure out how to how to address it, and once I realized really that my book would be read in this context of Me Too, sort of whether I wanted it to be or not, and realizing how important this cultural moment was, I I really tried to lean into it. You know, not too hard. You know, people, people are calling it like a Me Too story. And I think that that's understandable. But I am also trying to show a story that isn't the type that we necessarily have heard that often. Because Vanessa is a protagonist who she doesn't want to come forward. She doesn't want to post her story on social media or talk to a journalist. And fiction is a way to gain access to a story like that.
0: Vanessa also had a lot of sympathy towards Jacob Strain in the book. She didn't view it as abuse. She didn't think it was. She felt like he had a problem, Mm -hmm. and she understood it, and she was there to soften the blow in a way. Yeah,
1: that's an interesting way to put it. I think I really wanted to make her perceptive, especially as a teenager, because even though he's— manipulating her and grooming her and and coercing her in ways that she doesn't totally understand at that age. She also sees him pretty clearly and I in some ways I wanted to make her even more perceptive as a teenager than she is in her 30s because in her 30s I think she has these blinders on by you know out of necessity because on a certain level she knows better. At 32, like she knows on some level that she was abused, that this was wrong, that this has deeply harmed her life. But at 15, her naivete, I think, gave her the ability to have a lot of empathy for him and able to romanticize him in this quote unquote problem that he has.
0: I feel like by the time she got into her thirties you had more of a question mark of is she does she have any mental illness of her own? Yeah. Is this caused by what happened? Mm-hmm. Like I feel like you danced around, you know you showed us some of the symptoms. Right. Maybe question mark, question mark. Yeah, I tried to do that
1: in, in some different ways. Definitely with her like, I wanted the book to be read and it to be fairly clear, like, she's suffering from trauma in her 30s, but she's suffering from it in these ways that are kind of grotesque, like her, you know, their slovenly apartment and, and her struggling to do sort of the basic necessities of life. But then also as a teenager, I wanted to show her being like disorganized mm-hmm. and having trouble concentrating and sort of not being the best student, but also being really smart. And I I knew that readers would come into this book looking for sort of an explanation of why this happened to her, mm-hmm. like what made her so susceptible to this man. And I think there are sort of easy go-to answers for that. Like, oh, were were her parents, like, not paying attention to her? Or was she, was this girl in question, not even necessarily Vanessa, but just thinking of a a kid who Mm -hmm. finds themselves in, in a situation like Vanessa does? Like, was she already promiscuous? Was she already sexually experienced? And, like, looking to these answers, like, that's the reason why. And I didn't want to give the reader any one thing that they could point to and be like, oh, well, that's why she, you know, was convinced by him or, or tricked by him. There are, I think, different things that you could pick up on in the book, but I didn't want any of them to be like, and that's the answer. And that's why, why this happened. I don't think it could ever be so
0: simple anyway. Right, right, right. right. That's more true to life. I feel like I read this as not only in Vanessa's shoes, but also from the point of view of her parents, as a parent myself, Mm -hmm. and thinking, you know, what did her parents do wrong? Like, did you see them as enablers, which effectively they were? Was there anything they did raising her that made her, as you said, more susceptible? Was it just a confluence of a lot of different factors?
1: Yeah, I think that was my thought, that it was just a lot of different factors. And with her parents, you know, I thought of the relationship with her and her parents as... Not great, but not bad. Mm -hmm. Kind of just ordinary. And especially as a teenager and, and, you know, feeling like you enjoy spending time with your parents to a certain extent. But on the other hand, you kind of want them to go away and completely leave you alone. But I do think that choices... In, that are made in the book by her parents, maybe especially her mother, are could be seen as enabling, but I think could also be seen as just wanting to protect her daughter and knowing like it's an impossible situation. Like if you suspect your kid is being abused, then what do you do? You uh, like go to the police, but then what does that like that would enter that would invite in a another round of trauma. Inevitably, even if justice is eventually served, it would be, you would be putting your kid through something. And so that was what was on my mind as a writer when I was crafting those scenes with her mother. But it's difficult. And and there's room for disagreement there, which was important to me, to to leave that room for disagreement for the reader. Because I think that's what makes people want to talk about a book, is if there's different, there's room for different interpretations of it.
0: What are the other secrets to writing a book that everybody's talking about <laughs> since we're on that topic? I mean, this book has gotten so much attention. It's on every list of anticipated books. It's, you know, are, are you even ready for the—I the? the I don't even know the word. Are you ready for the all the media attention and what—let <laughs> me say that again. Are you, are you ready for all of the excitement and attention around the launch of this book?
1: I mean, I don't know if I can be totally ready for it because this isn't it's it's all new to me and it's it's overwhelming but really exciting but mostly I'm just I'm so anxious and excited for the book to be out and in the hands of readers and for the book to do whatever it's going to do and for readers to respond to it however they're going to respond and I'm I know that I'm tasked with helping bring the book into the world but I'm really looking forward to when I feel like the book can really stand on its own and I could just kind of stand back and and watch it and it's in terms of like writing it, and all of this is surprising to me. I especially because I worked on it for so long. I always figured this subject matter is 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 dark and difficult, and so because of that, I never really anticipated it finding a, a really wide readership. But people want to talk about this subject matter right now. I think people want to engage with it, and so I think that is certainly part of what is fueling interest in it. But I also tried to write the the best book I possibly could. I was going to say, I wouldn't you know? sell
0: yourself short. <laughs> I think a, it's the it's book, <laughs> book itself. I think this book would be a phenomenal book regardless of what was going on in the cultural yeah. climate
1: zeitgeist. It's a fine line, la- you know, trying to balance how, right, trying not to sell yourself short, but at the same time knowing, like, it is timely. It's timely, and I'm still... I'm still on some level struggling to believe that this is all really happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just
0: keep reminding you, okay?
1: Your occasional text. It's, it's on.
0: It's, it's another day in this new <laughs> Kidding aside, what you were saying about how you craft something that people want to leave room for interpretation, mm-hmm. you have a PhD in creative yes. writing. Yeah. Are there things that you learned or you got out of that program or just your lifetime that you think contribute to making a great book that you, in the back of your head, said, oh, I have to make sure to include this element or this, I want this in my book in some way? Yeah, I mean, so much of it, and I think this is a common thing that, that writers
1: say, so much of it comes down to character, absolutely, when writing a book that you want to be considered literary. I feel like you, for me, I really have to lean into the characters as much as I can, even characters that you don't necessarily want to, like I, the amount of time I had to spend thinking about strain and trying to get into his head, even though the book is never from his perspective. I still tried to think about him as closely as I could. That wasn't something I necessarily wanted to do, but I knew that the book needed it. And so spending a lot of time Learning as much as I could about the characters, even if that what I learned doesn't end up explicitly on the page, just me knowing the characters and in ways that like the reader never necessarily will, that was really important through the writing process, but also being as invested in the plot as I possibly could, which doesn't always come naturally to me. So that was hard work of like having big whiteboards and, you know, markers and, you know, different colored markers and, and keeping track of all the subplots and making sure that I didn't lose track of anything and and trying to make sure that everything wasn't necessarily resolved, but at least would feel satisfying to the reader by the end of the book. That was a really I knew that that was necessary, but that was maybe the hardest. The hardest thing was was trying to keep up with a really make the pot plot really propulsive, really propulsive as much as I could. Though, so, as a literary writer, that that can be tough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you've been working on this for years, yeah. over a decade. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure you worked on it in all different types of places and different mm-hmm. times. But in terms of your process of, and the visual you can create of you sitting and writing this book. Are you a person who likes to go to coffee shops and write? Did you do it always at night, or what was your process like in in terms of the actual writing of it?
1: Definitely coffee shops and libraries. I'm, I write best when I get out of the house, especially if I'm struggling. I find like getting out of the house and being in a coffee shop, especially, I feel some kind of like I feel more compelled to work or like obligated to work if I'm in a coffee shop because I feel like people can see my computer screen. Not that anyone's looking at me, but I just feel like if I'm just messing around on social media, people will see. Whereas like I, I, it gives me more accountability, I guess. And also liking the background noise. But also once I was really, really deep in the writing process, I would just set up on the couch and write all night, which that was the best. That was. That was the best feeling, the feeling of, like, not wanting to sleep because the writing was going so well that I really miss that. I can't wait to get back Get back to that point when I'm writing again. But anyway, coffee shops are always my go-to place. And there's food and drink there, hey, you know. why
0: not, so. <laughs> right? <laughs> Have you ever written any short stories or worked on any other projects along the way while you were constructing this beautiful novel?
1: Yeah, I mean, with so... I was in my Ph.D. program from 2013 to 2018, and during that time, you know, I took two years of coursework, and then I had my doctoral exams, which was like three reading lists of, like I think it was like maybe 200 books and articles that I had to read and, and be, you know, have an exam on, and then I got to write the dissertation. Finally, I had three semesters of just writing the dissertation slash novel, so that was great. But the years leading up to that, I always just wanted to work on it, but I had to do the coursework. I had to study for exams, so I always felt like I had all these other obligations. And on top of all of that, I was teaching the whole time, so I had a lot to juggle, and it was always like... I can't wait, I can't wait until I'm at the dissertation stage and then I can just totally devote myself to writing this. And I think when I finally got to that point where writing the book was my job, I just threw myself into it and tried to take advantage of it as much as I could because I was like, when else am I gonna have be in the position where this is my job? But now suddenly I find myself in the <laughs> when my next book is gonna be able to to be written in that situation too, which is such a gift and I don't take it for granted
0: even a little bit. Yeah. And is your goal or was your goal to be a professor at all or an academic? It's. Or?
1: I mean, I when I was really young, yeah. Or even when I was an undergrad, I still wanted that. I still thought of that as a goal. But then once I got into grad school and the realities of the academic job market were sort of, I was confronted with them. I was like, I don't. I didn't see myself as competitive, or or qualified. But now, I'm like, now I have a book. Maybe maybe I would be so. It's having to rethink that. and But now I'm like, is that really what I want to do? Still figuring it out. But I do miss teaching. But being being a professor, there's a lot of other stuff, like, on top of teaching that you have
0: to do. So... We'll see. And you mentioned earlier, before we started recording, that you follow your husband around for his <laughs> academic life, as which well. I'm so happy
1: to. And it, I'm in such a privileged position right now too that I can. And I was always up for that, but now we I don't know we we view ourselves as very very lucky in that case that we can be really flexible and and open minded about where where we end up and I just hope that we end up somewhere that where we're happy and that we like and we'll see we'll see what the future holds
0: you are a far better wife than <laughs> I am I would I would not be like gonna, anywhere you want to go <laughs> I like I like pick the restaurants we get to I can't even like I can't delegate anything so.
1: I'm gonna make my husband listen
0: to this No, I mean, <laughs> I mean you got major points in my book uh, you're like a you know wife idol now mine <laughs> Not to delve into your own past, and I know the page in the beginning of the book says this bears no resemblance. Mm-hmm. This is all fiction mm-hmm. and, and everything, but you did attend a private day school mm-hmm. in Maine, as Vanessa did. Well, she went to a boarding school, mm-hmm. but you went to a private day school in ninth and 10th grade, and then you left for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. Da, da, da. <laughs> Which, can you talk about what happened then, or any similarities, or even did, some, did you know someone this happened to, or is there anything... Yeah, I mean I don't I don't want to talk about
1: personal stuff necessarily. But but regarding the the note at the beginning of the book, I just I wanted to be upfront about the book being fiction because it would misrepresent the book, misrepresent myself to to call it anything other than fiction. And also I I really think it does a disservice to the reader by letting the book be. Viewed as anything other than fiction, because I want this book to be something that readers can engage with in a way that, like I said, leaves room for disagreement, or I think a reader viewing Vanessa as frustrating and disappointing and doing the wrong thing, I think that's totally valid, totally valid, and I think that type of reading or response to nonfiction is is trickier, because then you're dealing with someone's actual life, and especially a story or a piece of nonfiction that deals with trauma, that's that's an ethical gray area for me, and and, and people may, might disagree, but this book is fiction, but at the same time, there are parallels between Vanessa and I, some of which are obvious. Like, even if you just read my bio, I grew up in Eastern Maine, Mm -hmm. like Vanessa. So, and I know the way that we read debut novels, maybe especially debut novels written by women, we tend to read them as autobiographical. And I know that. And so wanted to be clear about it being fiction, as clear as I possibly could. But your question about witnessing this type of behavior on the part of the teacher, I was a student for 25 years of my life overall. And as a young woman in an academic setting, I don't think it's possible to not be on the receiving end of inappropriate behavior. So absolutely, I saw it. I, I was on the receiving end of it. But it takes a lot of different forms. And it's not always as dramatic as being seduced by your middle-aged English teacher in high school it, it can it can be a professor who was always great but then there's that one interaction alone in his office and you don't know how to make sense of it or it can be you know taking a workshop where the professor says let's all meet at the bar and then it's a class but you're all drinking and it's not on campus and the lines seem to be blurred and so what I tried to do when I was writing the book is to not look at these things in terms of like a hierarchy and say like, okay, this is worse and then this isn't quite as bad and maybe this is okay, but rather to just think about how all of these instances of inappropriate behavior that are so common, how they're all connected and how they all sort of speak To the same problem, and that's why it was it was important for me to show Vanessa in college because that's another academic setting that's really similar to her boarding school, but she suddenly finds herself in a situation where like it's it's okay for professors to marry their students here, whereas at her boarding school that clearly wasn't okay, and so it's showing how difficult it is for someone who has been through this kind of trauma to navigate the social norms that feel like they're shifting under her
0: feet. I could listen to you talk, (laughs) You talk in complete, well-crafted paragraphs. It's really amazing. I'm just, like, marveling at the structure of your words. Oh, my gosh, thank you. It's, like, amazing as I ramble on myself. I just wanted to read one quote of yours from the book. You said, So Strain says, As a culture, we treat victimhood as an extension of childhood. So when a woman chooses victimhood, she is therefore freed from personal responsibility, which then compels others to take care of her, which is why once a woman chooses victimhood— She will continue to choose it again and again. Vanessa goes on to say, I'm not a victim because I've never wanted to be. And if I don't want to be, then I'm not. That's how it works. The difference between rape and sex is state of mind. You can't rape the willing, right? So what do you think about this? With with the quote from Strain,
1: or Vanessa remembering Strain, uh, saying those things about victimhood, I think that it makes sense for him to see victimhood in that way, that it's something that women choose and that they find, like, comfort in. Because Strain goes on to say, like, the world has a, has a vested interest in keeping you helpless, you meaning young women. But so does he. He has, he, he's very invested in, in keeping her helpless. And so I imagined Strain seeing victimhood even just the idea of it as something potentially really appealing to Vanessa and something that would potentially give her a lot of strength. And so it made sense in, in to me to have him be trying to undercut the very idea of it in this really manipulative way. But the way that Vanessa thinks about it, I think, you know, when she says... I don't want to be a victim, and the difference between rape and sex is state of mind. That's how I was taught. That's how I was taught to understand consent. And it's difficult to argue with because I think that's the way that a lot of us were taught it. But what I wanted to do in that moment was to show how flawed that thinking is and how incomplete and how easily it is for someone who has been victimized to sort of parrot back these things that we've all been taught, but show how easily they can be twisted into a sort of excusing an abuser.
0: And is part of your goal in the book helping people who might be going through this situation now or who have have gone through it in the past or might in, encounter it and then have some background and framework to process it? Yes and no. I mean that definitely wasn't it wasn't
1: the goal when I was writing it, always the sort of main goal was just like getting the story down and, and engaging with the, this is going to sound wrong because the book is so difficult, but the the enjoyment I got from just writing it, the enjoyment I get from writing anything, that was- You're that allowed, was what You're allowed to write. enjoy <laughs> your job. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but I wanted to- The ideal reader I had in my head was someone, not someone who's necessarily experienced what Vanessa has, but someone who would find comfort in seeing a portrayal of a victim who is engaging with her own abuse in ways that we don't usually see. That was really important to me, but that's also pretty broad. You know, it, it, it doesn't have to be the exact circumstances. It's just trying to honor the complexity, the complexity of it. Yeah. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors out there? <laughs> Always. I mean, it's an easy, it's a easy go-to answer, but I think perseverance is so important. It took me such a long time to get this book right, and I was never afraid of tearing it apart and starting over. I was maybe a little too eager to, to, to start over to the point where I wrote... So many different openings to this, but like probably like a couple dozen different attempts, and the setting would change, and the point of view would change. But I was never afraid of that work, and, and and never afraid to to stick with it, and that was really important. But also viewing the process, even if you have to throw away hundreds of pages of work, the process is always teaching you something, and if you keep at it by the time you do get the book where it needs to be you're going to be so experienced as a writer because of all those failed attempts that's that's my best piece of advice just like don't be don't be afraid of the fail the failure because it's helping you all along the way <laughs> That's
0: great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience and for writing this book, which I will not stop thinking about. (laughs) Thank you. Such a good book. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks. You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks to Lauren Passel and her innovative PR company, Tink, for sponsoring today's episode. Please check them out at tinkmedia.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.